0: Welcome to the podcast of the Kelly Cutrera Show. It's Wednesday, January 27th. You might be working remotely. And imagine if someone said, no, nope, your bathroom's out of service. No, really, you can't use it. What are you going to do? That is what is happening to truck drivers who are delivering our goods on a daily basis all across the country. Yes, They are not able to find places where people will allow them to actually answer the call of nature. We'll talk about how big of a problem this is and how our truck drivers are working around it coming up. Also, if you know an artist or a Rush fan or both, St. Catharines is accepting proposals from artists for a Neil Peart Memorial at Lakeside Park. And we'll give you the skinny on that. But first, there's a couple of things that are top of mind today. Okay. The big stories are Pfizer's vaccine. Uh, they want us to squeeze another dose out of the vial, except we might not have uh, the vials or we may not have the syringes to do this. Uh, so we're going to talk about that. Also, Ford is still pounding on his podium saying, can you please start testing everybody that comes into Canada? Uh, via the airports. And the other big story involves a guy that's been on the show before. Um, he's a professor of epidemiology, really nice man, David Fishman. Uh, he's been very generous with his time to this show, and he works at the Dalla Lana School of Public Health in Toronto. And Anthony Fury, who works with the Toronto Star, heard often on the John Oakley show here in 640 Toronto in the afternoons, getting kudos for a story he broke yesterday involving David Fishman. Uh, he's a... A member of the province's COVID-19 science table. And that's really important where this story is concerned. And he was paid by the Elementary Teachers Union for arguing against school reopenings. Now, this story, uh, to a lot of people, it just screams potential conflict of interest. So we wanted to welcome onto the program uh, Dr. Or, uh, Carrie Bowman, who is a bioethicist at the University of Toronto, just to talk about um, this story in kind of a general term, because uh I don't really want to get too personal with this uh and make some personal judgment calls here, Carrie. But at the heart of this story is a potential conflict of interest. Now, I think in fairness, we have to mention that Dr. Fitzman uh, said originally to the ETFO when they approached him to uh, help them out with some documents they were preparing, I believe to present their argument to the government on why school classes need to be small and why we shouldn't be reopening schools, whether potentially dangerous to have schools open. He had said, I'm not going to accept any money. And they said, well, actually, it's going to be quite a bit of work, so we want you to accept money. And um, he also has offered, because of the potential conflict of interest this shows, to step off of the um, advisory board that he's on, The science table and the science table said, no, um, we'd like you to stay put if you don't mind. So what about this story to you really presents a conflict of interest, if any?
1: You know, conflict of interest is can be quite a challenge. And, you know, I don't need to remind you or the listeners. These are really, really difficult times. You know, the variants are here, the vaccines are not. And so the bottom line is we need an incredible level of trust in all of these committees and, and, you know, groups of people uh, that are showing great leadership. And, you know, conflict of interest is not necessarily about intent. And, and you know, like you, I'm, I'm staying away from the details. Like, I don't even, I only know what I've heard. There could be a whole other story. Uh, you know, I really, really don't know. And to be literally paid with the agenda of, you know, trying to turn something around sounds pretty extreme to me. But look, here's the reality: uh, someone being paid and sitting on another committee where they're they're sort of balancing uh, multiple factors is definitely problematic, and um, that's of great concern. And you know, declaring conflict of interest in paperwork. Really, it should be done verbally. And, you know, you know, it may not. Mm. Y- you got to roll it back a bit. You know, when you're setting up these committees, you really, really have to vet this very carefully. Um, but, you I know, mean, we have, do you multiple... have the time to yeah. vet.
0: Do you have the time to vet when you're talking about, uh, you know, a pandemic?
1: Well, I think you do when you set up these committees, because look, if you find out that you've, and I'm not talking about this case, but, you know, have any of them embedded, you know, Mm -hmm. there's many, many healthcare workers, physicians, particularly that do consultations with pharmaceutical companies. Hopefully that has all been sorted out. I'm not even talking about this committee. I'm talking about other committees, because here's the thing is it really, really is an erosion to trust at a very difficult time. There's no question about that. And you know, intent is not the only factor here. So it does worry me. What went on in this particular case, I don't know. I don't want to know. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not. Okay. Well, for the sake
0: for the sake of the uh, audience, I think I should just mention uh, because people are like, well, maybe you guys don't want to know. I want to know what's going on. A fistman told the sun that the science table is um, obligated to disclose its, its conflict of interest every six months. And basically the, you fill out the form and it's going to be uploaded to the website. But he said, my ETFO work arose within that timetable. So it didn't appear on the June 17th conflict of interest declaration. Uh, I've recently updated my declaration with the science table and the new forms will show that, you know, he has of course worked with the ETFO. Um, so is there a problem, do you think, um, when it comes to, as you said, um, these, the declaration of possible conflict of interest? Shouldn't it just be verbal? What, or, you know, we're dealing in it in a, a technological age when we can just update and change and edit things very easily. Shouldn't they have an edit button so you can kind of continuously update and yeah. people can keep an eye on a possible conflict of interest?
1: Yeah. You, you really cannot depend on some kind of procedural mechanism with something like this. You you need that mechanism, but absolutely there has to be set standards. And look, I'm going further upstream. This has to be declared to people that you have to declare at any given time, you know, if, if something potentially arises. And look, this may not be the only incident. There could be others out there that we don't even know about. But look, I, I wish no harm to, you know, to David Fisman at all. He's, he's mm. done a lot of amazing work. I'm just trying to look at the big picture. And, you know, I, I think it really rests with the public. Are the public comfortable with this? And I'm not, I'm not sure they are. Um, you know, and the public is not one voice and it's not one mind. But this right. is not a time to have any erosion of trust.
0: Do you think that um, Dr. Fishman being told to stay on the science advisory table um, says a lot? Does does this take the story from potential mountain to kind of a molehill?
1: No, I don't think it does at all. Hmm. Um, you know, the story is not about what his colleagues think. The story is what the public thinks. Right. And, you know, what what kind of trust this brings. And that is the story. Um, you know, what our colleagues think is another is, is something quite different.
0: Right. Well, there are people that say that... Um, it's inexcusable that a scientist and a medical doctor uh, in a position of influential uh, ch- influence chooses to have um, negative impacts on well-being and mental health of children and accepted money from the ETFO to argue their agenda. However, you know, this was his Ooh, his position. True, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this was his position anyway. Yeah. So aren't they, you know, don't but you, you just know, go out I go looking back for to, someone yeah. to back up your opinion?
1: Yeah, it could be. But, you know, I go back to intent, uh, you know, mm. conflict of interest happens independent of intent. And, you know, one of the things where we right. see conflict of interest is physicians and I'm changing the story a little bit here, but not much, um, except, you know, uh, funds from pharmaceutical companies and they're profoundly offended if you suggest that that could ever touch their professional judgment, but right. you know what? Research shows it does. It right. really does. So it's not always in the conscious mind either. Um, so, but it, you know, it but doesn't, it, you know, it doesn't,
0: picture. but doesn't the order of which things happen speak to that as well? Cause I get what you're saying. It's, you know, you might not think that that steak dinner is influencing you, but hey, all of a sudden you like that person yeah. you're going out to dinner with and you're going to be swayed more by whatever they're trying to sell you. Like I'm talking on a broader range here, but if this was yeah. always, yeah. like if I'm sitting here and I'm saying, Oh, I really, um, I don't know, I, just pick anything. I like this kind of car. And then someone comes to me and says, Hey, uh, you already like this kind of car. Why do you like this kind of car? Do you want to speak for it and and your support for mm-hmm. this kind of car? Then, you know, I already held that position. It's still so a conflict
1: of interest, though. It's still a conflict of interest. And that's what often happens is people said, well, if they weren't paying me, I would endorse this product anyway. But they are paying you and there becomes a conflict of interest. And, you know, it's this it, it's a question of what the public has a right to know to make decisions too, you know, we're all trying to figure out how to stay safe, how to survive this, how to get through it, and we depend so, so, so much on our leadership for this information. So there really could be a conflict of interest. You know, you could argue, as, as you just did, and you know, it's a, it's a very good argument, by the way, that you know, if he didn't receive a penny, nothing would have changed. But that still doesn't mean there's not a problem. Um, so with you know, conflict of interest in a general sense.
0: That's interesting, even, even when it comes down to uh, an expert on a topic.
1: Well, it does, because again, it, you know, I, I take it back to, you know, is there a direct interference there? But I'm rolling it back to the fact that the public needs to know, needs to have com- trust in the system. And if, if something is defined as conflict of interest, and the public absolutely feels it is, and it, it's a violation of the rules, you've got a problem independent of intent.
0: I think that um, Chris sent me a statement from the ETFO um, and I haven't actually had a chance to, uh, you know, read it and in, in, in it's, you know, other than just scanning it. But there are people that are, you know, uh, it's up to the public to decide if there was a huge conflict of interest here, I guess, on how they feel about that. Um, but, you know, some people argue that this is more is being made out of this by conservatives because, you know, this is something that Ford I uh, didn't want to do is to make classes smaller.
1: Yeah, and you know, this is all wrapped up, unfortunately, you know, with partisan politics as well. Um, you know, it's up to the it's up to the public to decide to a point, but it's it's also up to leadership to just des- to decide, to find, and deal with conflict of interest. And again, I don't know all the ins and outs of this case. I, you know, I'm I'm not part of it in any way, shape, or form. But talking about conflict of interest in a general sense, you really can't just go person by person and say, is that really what they meant? You know, did they really right. mean it? It, there's a much larger context than that.
0: Okay, so what lessons should, I guess, professionals take from this? And what lessons sh- should government learn from this story?
1: Well, I think there's multiple pandemic committees now, as you know, multiple. And we're going to have them for a while. Um, we need to make sure that they are all free of conflict of interest. And I, I would argue that people need to revisit uh, exactly what's going on in those committees because this will lead to a greater erosion and you know of trust and again with erosion of trust even you know vaccine uptake is is tied to to trust in public systems to some extent to a significant extent so so we've got that to consider as well uh, you know big picture i think we all have to, to I, I didn't realize anyone was getting a nickel on any of these committees i am very naive uh, and that might have been a one-off i don't know I, I didn't realize a soul was getting a nickel on this i thought Everyone was just volunteering on well the i do I think they are
0: on the committees, aren't they? I mean this was for i think uh, so too work done yeah. to the e t s yeah, so I don't yeah. wanna, as you say, we want to be careful yeah. about what we're saying. But, um,
1: well, it's still, it's still, you know, it's still a pandemic committee to or pandemic consultation to some extent. And look, people have to work, people, I I, I get it. Um, but again, this comes down to declaration. So it may not be fair to blame the individual, you've got to Mm -hmm. take it upstream and say, you know, it's similar to the Julie Payette situation. You know, do we blame her or do we blame the prime minister for not dealing with this upstream? Right. So, same thing, Mm -hmm. like, are the right questions being asked,
0: Or, or do we blame both?
1: By do we way, blame both, And that's uh, fair. Yeah, just and a that's little, fair. Yeah. This, is,
0: this is neither here nor there, but it is a development on that yeah. pay at story. Uh, CBC is reporting okay. that things may have gotten physical with her as well. And I'm not sure, you know, that's very vague and the report says it, but uh, we'll find out when the report comes out. There's more to that story, I think. Um, no, but, there is.
1: And, you know, I don't know what physical, I know what physical well, means, but you know what I mean? I, I, no, I know. Do you I mean, know? I don't know what that you means.
0: You know what I was thinking, Dr. <laughs> Bowman, just to bring this to it another place, I was saying to Chris earlier on, does it mean that she grabbed someone by the arm and said, hey, or could it be that the next day when she, or even moments later, realized that she might have reacted harshly, made them hug her or hug them? I don't know what the physical means, but there's a either. lot of places And, you know, this I read go. that
1: story and I thought, I'm no further ahead after um, yeah, you know, I, I wondered whether they should run a story like that without defining what it is they mean it's well i think we're going to find
0: out in the report and and that's yeah. you know the situation listen i really yeah. appreciate your time um i don't know if if people are going to be if we're going to see people with pitchforks and um you know rushing at, at this story or if people are going to say eh, you know with a shrug but it's interesting to talk about ethics with you because uh, you know, there's yeah. a lot of ethical questions that surround what's going on right no, now. No, And
1: I, you know, we, I'm not suggesting we need pitchforks and neither are you. But I mean, yeah. I, the, the main point I want to make is conflict of interest is a very, very serious undertaking during a state of emergency. And I'm talking big picture. All of the committees need to take a long, hard look at this. That's mostly what I want to say.
0: I really appreciate your time as always, Carrie.
1: You're very welcome. Take care. Have a good day. I
0: want to welcome on to the show right now Shelly Juvenile Hash. She's the CEO of the Women's Trucking Federation of Canada uh, because I read this article where she uh, punctuates they're having a bit of a challenge while they're um, meeting our our needs as a public. These are essential workers. and Welcome to the show, Shelly. Good to have you on. Good morning, Kelly. Thanks for having me on today. I just want to ask. Uh, first off, uh, you're the CEO of the Women's Trucking Federation of Canada. How many uh, people do you represent? I represent over 700 members. All right. So, what's the gender split when it comes to female to male truck drivers?
2: Uh, 3% just roughly, right now, the three percent of the driving population is female.
0: Okay. Uh, roughly so-
2: works out to about 11,000 women across Canada.
0: A lot of women driving truck now. Um, there are some unique challenges that truck drivers, not just women are facing, but truck drivers are facing due to this pandemic. And it has to do with the challenges of the call of nature. And the fact that I think a lot of us take this uh for granted, the fact that, you know, with the lockdown, we still have essential workers like you guys out and about. And nature calls, you've got to answer that call. But because everything's locked down and closed down, you guys are actually finding it challenging to find restrooms. It seems like it might not be a big topic that might be newsworthy to some people. But I think everybody can relate to that feeling where you're, you've are you reached a point of desperation and we've all had to walk into a store or two or a restaurant in our day and say, look, I'm really not going to buy anything right now, but I really have to use the facilities. How challenging is this getting for um, truckers during the pandemic? And how important is it that you have access to restrooms?
2: Well, access to restrooms is important for anybody. Um doesn't matter where you are. Uh, I think that the problem lies is that there, there used to be places that we could go in and use. Uh, you know, Tim Hortons, I'd go in, grab, use the washroom, grab a copy and a donut, and away I'd go back out in my truck and, and head down the road. Uh, I would pop in at a ship from receivers, deliver, run in, use the washroom, get back out of my truck, wait for them to unload. Uh, now everybody's closed off their bathrooms. Um, it's like we have become a very COVID paranoid society to the fact that we're forgetting very basic human needs and we're forgetting one of the biggest things that we all need to be to each other. And that's kind.
0: How careful are you guys when you uh, actually find someone or a bathroom that is accessible to you? I mean, what what kind of um, protocol are, are you adhering to as a truck driver to make sure that you're safe and that you leave the facilities as clean as possible?
2: Well, as drivers, we all have PPE. So we're all carrying gloves. We have hand sanitizer. We wear masks. We're very careful where we're going in, just like everybody else is when they're going out into public spaces. I think one thing the public needs to know is that for the basis of the time, we are more isolated than anybody else. We sit alone in a cab. Uh, We don't have the interaction with the public or, in most cases, our family most of the day. So we have very little risk of being, you know, transporting COVID around, which seems to be the consensus. Uh, sure, we're going into hot spots down in the U.S. and across this country, uh, but we're taking active measures to protect not only ourselves, but everybody else around us.
0: We had a truck driver call in. Uh, this was early days in the pandemic. His name is Bob, and I think he pro- still probably listens to the show. And he said, basically, he was saying uh, we're a bit of a lifeline for him because, you know, he tunes into the show whenever he can and if he's in range and, um, you know, it, we keep him company. And uh, he mentioned and punctuated the stress of driving, uh, the stress of, you know, fearing that you might take COVID home to your family, the fact that you really have to isolate from your family. You're not, you know, people think they've got it uh, hard because they have to stay at home and they can't go see their friends. But in some cases, you guys spend a lot of time alone uh, and you're you don't get any relief when you go home because you're concerned about possibly infecting your family. So the emotions are running high. You mentioned you weren't prepared for the emotions tied to losing access to restrooms. Can you describe how that makes you feel?
2: Well, as as anybody uh, would feel, I mean, you just, you just cannot believe that um, people can be so cruel as to deny you access to a basic human necessity. Um, I, I receive phone calls, emails every day on this issue. And they have gone tenfold uh, since it's being brought out by uh, the general media. Um, You know, when I hear about a pregnant driver who's out there doing her job and has to stop at seven different locations begging to use a washroom before she gets access to one, I'm disgusted. As a human being, I'm disgusted. Because no woman should have to go through that.
0: It's hard to believe that that people would turn somebody away that has to use the bathroom. What what are these businesses saying?
2: Uh, they're just saying they they're just closed. They're only doing takeout. They're not doing it, anything inside. Um, or you'll get oh we have no running water in there. Or we're doing renovations. You name it. The excuses are endless. And and I have to commend the Ontario government. You know they have tried to help in this situation. They've been very helpful to us. Um, How so? But the, but the, uh, while they put in extra, of a, you know, we don't like to use them, but they put in extra porta potties. Um, previous closed uh, way stations, they've opened them up. Um, they are working on improving access at the on routes. They're creating more parking spaces. Uh, unfortunately, the on routes are scattered uh, across the 401 and 400 series highway, and they just don't encompass the whole province.
0: Why don't you um, like using yeah. the porta potty? Just out of curiosity, is it a case of the fact that you're not sure if it's being cleaned enough?
2: Well, you walk into some of them and you know it hasn't been cleaned. Well,
0: yeah, I mean we've all been out of porta potty, but I was just curious if if you were concerned about uh, you know, the the actual hygiene and uh and and you know, possibility of contracting something from from it.
2: Yes, yeah, so that's generally what it is and okay. there's no place to wash your hands. If you look at all of this and everything that's going out, it's wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands. Mm-hmm. Right. Um potties don't have any running water. In most cases, some of them don't even have hand sanitizers. Uh, but drivers do carry that. Um, I think the thing is to remember is that uh, we're in Canada. Mm-hmm. It's all the cold outside right now.
0: Yeah. No, so use that I, I, I hear what you're saying. And let's face it, uh, there are workarounds that we've heard that some truckers that are male are using for the old number one. Uh, it's not a pleasant workaround. Uh, it's a little more challenging for women to do that, and it's also just uh, how demeaning and just is that for you? But I mean, if you run into a situation where it's that time of the month, and yeah, I'm mentioning it, live with it, guys, suck it up. Uh, this is not fun. This is this is a real need that we have to address. So you know, there are signs along the side of the road. I've seen them all the time. Hey, thank you, truckers. I'm guessing you're hoping, and and by appearing on this show, appealing to people to actually, you know, put their money where their mouth is. When you want to thank an essential worker like a truck driver, just allow them to use the bathroom.
2: That's just it. You know, we need to open up these washrooms. Um, If you have to clean it a little bit more often, you know, maybe you used to clean it twice in, in a shift. Clean it three times. You know, put some cleaning supplies outside the door or on the counter, and people are going to use it. Maybe they can spray it down themselves. There are solutions to this problem. We just have to be willing to do it. And, you know, I want everybody to think about it. You know, when you're, you're, you're in your office, or in some cases now our home office, you just get up off your chair and turn around and walk into a bathroom. Sure. The driver doesn't have that luxury. A driver is working in what I call an 8 by 8 box. So they're working in there, they are now eating in there, they sleep in there, and now you want them to go to the washroom in there.
0: Are there drivers that are actually going to the point of, of putting some sort of porta potty within their cab? Have you heard yes, about anything like that? Yes.
2: There's a lot of drivers that are now carrying porta potties that have never done so ever in their career. Ever. And as you say, talking to a driver who's been driving for thirty-five years. Mm-hmm and has now invested in a porta potty for his truck
0: wow um I want to thank you for your time Shelly for pointing this out and I hope that if you're listening if you're a business if you're uh you know uh, if you have the ability to help out a trucker that you will uh, it's the least we can do for essential workers and and Shelly thank you so much and stay safe
2: thanks Kelly thanks for bringing light to this very sus- serious issue that we're having right now
0: yeah, it is a serious issue. I thank you, Shelley. Have a great day. You too, Kelly. Thank you. That's Shelley Juvenile. Hash is the CEO of the Women's Trucking Federation of Canada. I think we have, like, a, a not too long, but we could stretch this. Truckers, you finding this uh, a problem that you're facing and what's your work around? I mean, like, not literal work around. Let's not talk about, you know, the extra pop bottles or stuff. I mean, you know, how... um have you found people that are reliable, businesses that are reliable, that are affording you this simple um, act of, of generosity so that you can answer the call? I mean, it's it sounds weird to say uh, it, it, it seems simple, but people are worried and they're closing down their bathrooms. These are essential workers keeping things humming. And uh, have you found uh, the good Samaritans out there that you are depending on? Uh, you know, like they are going to be your stop. It's sort of like, I might not have to go right now, but I'm going to give it a, a chance because these people are actually my, my one hope for miles and miles. For women, the challenge, as you could see, would be unique here uh, because there are other things to deal with. I also think about, you know, a, a lot of people with uh, gastrointestinal issues uh, that they have to deal with. Uh, I just can't imagine. Can't imagine, and I understand why well, it's not as simple as just putting in a porta potty in your cab. Because who wants that? Do you want to go where you're going to possibly sleep and eat? Because you know cab drivers have to be, uh, or truck drivers have to be, as worried about where they decide to rest their head as other people. Hey, uh, Brad and Whitby, you're a business owner, and and you yeah, say,
2: yeah. how you doing, Kelly?
0: I'm doing okay. So when you hear. Shelly appealed to businesses uh, better nature, their human kindness. What's your reply?
1: Well, first of all, I want to thank Shelly and all the other drivers out there because they're making us tick with all our supplies. Um, as a business owner, we have to uh, have a secure environment for our staff, for their well-being, and, and, and just so they, they have a safe place to be. So we can't allow outsiders in. We have a lot of logistics coming wide across North America, so that being said, we have since the beginning contracted a trailer, a double trailer, like you see at weddings outside and stuff like that, male and female, yeah, just just for the drivers, um, so they don't access our building. But that comes at a huge cost to us. Um, but as you know, as as I heard your show say, you have to be kind these days and do the best you can, even if it is an expense. And I can't believe that other businesses can't do the same.
2: Thank you, Kelly. <laughs> have a great day.
0: Thanks I appreciate radio. I appreciate the call, Brad. Uh let's move on to Raj. Raj, how you doing? You drive truck.
2: Hi, Kelly. How are you doing? I'm a big fan of US I Love the show.
0: Well, I appreciate it. So what are you doing? I mean, this seems like it, it is not really a news story, the fact that uh, you know, truck drivers, essential workers that are keeping our engines humming here or keeping our businesses going as best as possible, or putting food on our table. Are having problems accessing bathrooms, but it's it's pretty important. I think we can all relate to this story. What are you doing to you know when you have to answer that call? What are you relying on?
2: Absolutely, Kelly. It's a big issue, not just for the male drivers. As the lady in the interview said, uh, it's it's for everybody, really. Um, Personally, uh, every time I have to use a washroom, I have to find a scale to use a porta potty, and they're not very clean. Uh, Mm -hmm. they're, They're clean maybe once in three days or four days. And uh, every time I go to deliver uh, last which I work for a uh, company doing that, it's, it's, uh, the customers don't even let me in the building because of COVID. And, and I go to places where it's negative 22, and I have to go outside. I have no other option because I can't go anywhere else.
0: Wow. So you're pulling over at the side of the road, walk, make it, taking the walk of shame into a kind of wooded area.
2: Pretty much. Pretty much. Wow.
0: I uh, I feel for you, and so you're with Shelly on that. Those those porta potties just aren't cleaned enough.
2: Uh, some of the some of the places that we go to, Kelly, uh, construction sites, or even on the on the side of the highway when in the they're so bad that you wouldn't let your dog in there, not a human being.
0: Appreciate the call, Raj. Stay safe, okay? Uh, Dominic in Orangeville, I'm going to let you have the uh, final word. You're not a truck driver, but you're a delivery driver. Also feeling uh, you know, the same kind of shame when it comes to trying to find a bathroom to access.
1: Oh yeah, totally. I, I mean, I've been doing this for about six years and, uh, you know, I have a good com- good kind of camaraderie with all my customers, but as soon as COVID hit, a lot of them just close everything down. Can't use any of them. I have maybe two in town I can use.
0: Wow. What are you doing? Are you just, you know, uh, relying on those two?
1: Pretty much. Yeah. I got one on either side of town. <laughs>
0: You know, it's okay. it's funny, and, and we're not bringing this up, but there could be some health ramifications down the road. Totally. You know, it, your mom wasn't kidding when she said, don't hold it. It's not good for you.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I've been thinking about that. <laughs> well, ever since I started this job, really. But, I mean, I there bet. was at least, you know, there was an abundance. Now there is not.
0: I bet. I appreciate you calling in, Dominic. Stay safe. <laughs> All right, there's Rush in Lakeside Park, a story, a song written about a park where St. Catharines Mayor is hoping that artists will help create a Neil Peart memorial. Welcome to the show, uh, Walter Senzik. He is the mayor of St. Catharines. It's good to have you on.
3: Thanks, Kelly.
1: It's great to be here.
0: Okay, a lot of people know Rush's music, don't really, uh, if they're not major Rush fans, they don't know the connection that Neil Peart had with uh, St. Catharines. Can you just fill us in quickly on what his story is there?
3: Yeah, he went to elementary and high school here in St. Catharines. He lived in Port Dalhousie with his uh, parents, and he really found that that passion for for music here in our community. And he also worked at Lakeside Park. So when you when you understand Rush and the lyrics that uh, the band has become well-known for, uh, Neil's writing is all behind that. And the earliest iterations of some of their, their success, their big success, came from things like Lakeside Park. And he really does build into his music his experiences in life as well. And he's proud to call St. Catharines his hometown. And I think this is a fitting way to remember Neil.
0: Yeah, he was an incredible writer. I mean, he, he, we know that he did a lot of traveling around Canada and, uh, not only lyrically, uh, were his, uh, words just so vivid and painted an amazing picture, but, uh, he did the same thing with his books. I remember him talking yeah. about, uh, in one of the books, uh, him talking about taking a motorcycle trip and seeing a bear. Uh, swimming down a river in in Canada. I think he was up north, yeah. and uh, it was creating this V in the water, and he didn't know what it was, and then he realized it was a bear, and he didn't realize they swam so swiftly. Just an incredible guy. What an artist. And so you're asking artists to help uh, honor him with a memorial where at Lakeside Park in St. Catharines. Um, what are you looking for specifically? <laughs>
3: Well, really, we we didn't want to put too many parameters around the expression of interest, the RFP that we have now out for artists. We want the artist to capture the life of Neil and and Neil Peart's contributions to music, his ability to capture the word in such beautiful ways. And really just the, the person who was at the top of his craft, if you will, in the world of music and also who he was as a, as a human being. And so... We're hoping artists get come up with something very unique that's reflective mm-hmm. of, of Neil. And, and Neil's, uh, Neil's parents still live here in St. Catharines. And so it's, a, it's an opportunity for us to commemorate his 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 well-rounded, his well-lived life in in a way through the eyes of an artist. So we're not putting any real parameters around it, but it will be located at Lakeside Park.
0: Do you know where in Lakeside Park or will the artist be able to look around at the the setting and say, this is what I want and this is where I want to put it?
3: So we have a a brand new pavilion that we had had just built in the past number of years. And so that's been renamed the Neil Peer Pavilion at Lakeside Park. Mm -hmm. And so it's it's in that area of the pavilion that we also want to have this commemorative uh, public work of art that will commemorate his life. So it's a it's a nice setting. And I got to tell you, there's there's still willow trees in uh, Lakeside Park. The beach is amazing. And while we don't have the Midway anymore, mm-hmm. it still will be evocative, if you will, for Rush fans and those who appreciate uh, Neil and his contributions to music and, and the world.
0: If artists are listening or people that know artists, where do they um, submit their proposal?
3: Yeah, so you got to go to the City of St. Catharines website, and there there is a link there to download the RFP, and then the artists will follow the process. This will take time, as as uh, we've been explaining to folks, this isn't going to happen over overnight. But we're hoping to have the artists selected in this calendar year, and then have the artwork start to be brought to life in the in the next year or so.
0: Deadlines are important. Sometimes artists kind of move on their own <laughs> deadline. What do you got for us, deadline wise, to submit?
3: Well, in terms of the RFP, I I believe from a committee's perspective, we want to have selections in front of the selection committee by the spring of this year, so late spring, so we're looking at May, June, and then being able to have a, a full selection of the artists by the fall, and then the work schedule will begin for the construction of the work of art.
0: You know, it's a nice distraction to be looking at right now, and an important one because it is a member of your community, or he was an important member of your community. But a nice distraction amidst this pandemic, that's for sure.
3: It is. And, you know, celebrating the the life of someone who gave so much of themselves to their craft is something that I I even think Neil was a very private person, but I even Mm -hmm. think after reading his book, Ghost Rider, Uh, recognizing that some of his largest literary figures that he revered, he went to their towns and Mm -hmm. he saw how they celebrated the lives of those writers. And I think he would be very honored to see something like this in his hometown.
0: Well, Walter, thanks so much for giving the details on this project.
3: Thank you. Appreciate it, Kelly.
0: Thanks for tuning into the podcast. Always a pleasure having you along. Let's do it again tomorrow.